Thank you. Hmm. I just have to say how much we enjoy being here. You know, we just came from one week ministry and we went for one week every day in a different church. And I have to say, sometimes we just endure the meetings to just minister because it's so far from what God wants to do in the church. And people have an idea of what God is and who God is, and they have made a frame to paint a picture. But it's not the reality of what the Lord does. And I just appreciate it so much what God is doing here in this congregation and in this church because he has set the platform for all of you to move into something you yourself cannot go because God has to lead us in that way. And I believe that God is going to use you as a key to unlock many hearts and to unlock many lives and to touch people in this area, you're going to see an increase. I believe that with all my heart because there's life and there's purpose and there's destiny. And I, I just believe that. And Lord, I just ask you and thank you. I thank you for Yaku and Catherine that you have brought them here a long way, Lord, from the island, South Africa, the island, because it's the reason they came here. It's the reason because, Lord, you just have formed them and shaped them for such a time as this, which Canada needs in this hour. And Lord, I just ask you that you continue to increase this congregation, not in size, but Lord, in depth and in revelation and in insight and in liberty and in freedom, so that your people be, be walk in the wholeness of your strength and your power. Lord, you want your people to be whole. And I just thank you, Lord, that you go going to move in our life, our bodies, our spirit, our soul, and that you're going to just infuse us with your glory. Just bless your word now, Lord, and just let your anointing flow, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question this night. I just wonder how many of you feel like that you had the infilling of the Holy Spirit, just in the light of what I have said. Did you just, just, just raise your hand? Only one. Come on, raise your hands high. All right. Most of you, but at least you have the recognition and, and you realize that the Holy Spirit has come up on you and has not only be upon you, but he filled you with his glory. And I just believe that any, every one of you are going to have come to a new level of understanding of what God wants to do in your life. I remember as I went to Bible school, and I'm just going to speak on the tongue. How, how, let me read it again to you in Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost has come, they were all together in one place. Now, many times said, things come suddenly when God brings a unity of purpose and the unity of destiny. Unity is very, very important. You know, many of us in the church, we never come to unity. We only come to agreement. Now, agreement and unity is two total, total, total different things. Agreement gives power. In other words, you can have a bunch of deacons, a bunch of elders, and you agree. You agree on the salary. You agree on a budget. You agree on a form of service. But it doesn't mean you have unity. It's just an agreement. Agreement is power. 
But unity brings Christ's presence forth. Now, agreement. Now, when you uh, agree, to agree with what God does, and you can agree with certain things in your life. But when the Holy Spirit comes, what he does, he brings unity that born from within, that God brings the revelation of it that. Now, I, you know, there's a, I read a Bible, I wrote a Bible study many, many years ago. Agreement is not just agreement with your brother. The agreement is even with your enemy. Sometimes I, when I was young, people would ask me, and they said, how do you overcome as I traveled from the mission field? And I lived in the mission field in my young years, even as I was single. And they would say, how do you do it, Segi? Like I would maybe maybe three months in India or in some kind of bush, and, and I would date. I would do outrageous things for God because I was a radical and I believed that you have to have a radical faith. And I remember that people were talking to me and they said, how do you do that, what you're doing? And I thought for a minute and I, I think one of the greatest things I had before I was married was loneliness because I would be alone many times in some kind of village and I would preach, and sometimes they wouldn't even see any white people, and I couldn't even be in my heart because people would look in. That's now 50 years ago to see what I do and what I not do. And I thought, how, what do I do? How do I do it? And I remember one day God gave me a revelation. I was in, in Lahore or somewhere in Pakistan, and I was sitting alone because I was on a dangerous mission. I had to transport a motor over the Afghan, Afghanistan border into the mission field because our mission bus fell apart. And I remember I was so lonely after I traveled and I traveled over the borders and, and God gave me grace to bring that, this parts of the motor over the border from Afghanistan to Pakistan. And I felt so lonely. And I thought, uh, the devil was tormenting me as I sat there in the middle of nowhere. And suddenly I had a revelation. And the Lord gave me that revelation. And I said, I have to agree. What was my adversary? My adversary was loneliness. Now that loneliness was going to get me because, you know, in, in isolation like that, it, it will create desires and longings which are not always in agreement with that what God does in your life. And, you know, many times the enemy comes and he creates within you desire and longings out of need, which is against the will and against the purpose of God. And some of us, we have desires in us our life, which uh, we are as opposite of what, what we pray, what we pray for. Now our desires is the intensity and the longing created out of need and created out of emptiness of our life. And as I said there, I said I will never come to a place where I'm totally completed. That I serve God. What are my priorities? And in that bed, as, as I said there, I had a revelation. And I realized that I must agree with my adversary. What was my ad adversary? Loneliness. That loneliness would infiltrate my life and take away my joy and take away my purpose and take away my destiny and make me look for things 
things which will fulfill the emptiness of my life. And I would think, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree I'm lonely. But so what I'm lonely? I will not let that loneliness, as a matter how I feel, I'm going to do anyways what God wants to do in my life. And as I agreed with that thing in my life, it lost the power over me. Yes, it doesn't mean I wasn't lonely, but the loneliness lost the power to dominate me. And you can see in our life, when you look at in your life, you will see the lack of our life. That if you don't agree and you want to break out of that lack, you will have no power to be fulfilled. Because fulfillment has nothing to do that your desires are fulfilled. Fulfillment comes to yielding. Fulfillment comes to submission. Fulfillment come to yield your life as a living sacrifice. And you know, as you agree, then in God gives you ease, suddenly you can come into unity for the Lord into oneness. And when you come into oneness, God gives you an understanding of what he has in our life. Now, I believe every when you infilled with the Holy Spirit, there is something happened which is not of you. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now what does, what does the Spirit say? What is this body? A temple. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit who resides within me. Now some of us, we are not aware of God's presence. Why? Because our needs overpower the presence. And when our needs overpower the presence of the Lord, we are not aware that this temple is a habitation for God to work in, through, and for me. And you see, some of us, what we do if you live in your needs, you actually imprison the Holy Spirit. And you don't give him liberty to work in you and through you because you have to give round and you have to give light to the Holy Spirit so he can move in you and uproot these things which have grown within you to bring something new and to bring something fresh in your life. Now I realize, you know, in Germany about 50 years ago when I, or longer than that, I went to Bible school from 1965 to 1967. Some of you have not even lived yet. <laughs> and when I went to Bible school, I went to Assembly of God Bible School in Germany. Now in those days, women wouldn't do nothing. Women would not speak. Women would be there. Now my dad always said, what in the world do you go to Bible school for? You can't do anyways, anyways. A woman can't do nothing. And, I, and you know, I was not the type who would be a nurse. or uh, And I did a children evangelist for two seasons. Where I would travel from nation to city to city in Germany. And when we would have an attend and get these kids in and we would preach and teach and and, and talk stories. Now, I, I realized one day in my class, I was the second year of my Bible school, uh, the, the Bible school decided, uh, we were only eight women in Bible school at those days, and they decided that 
it would be good for the women to preach. So we could be criticized. They could be criticized. Their homiletics and see how we act with it. And I remember our names were written once a week. And the brethren were sitting there in front of the board. And they were laughing themselves silly. Because they said they said it was so funny that a woman would preach. <clears throat> because they still believe that a woman should be silent in church. So I realized now I was very young in the, in the faith and I started right off. I didn't have any time of preparation in the church or church politics or church history or anything. I went straight to Bible school. And I remember when my turn came. Now they had the teacher there, the homiletic teacher, all the Bible school students, and you're supposed to preach. And then on the next day they would pull your sermon apart and criticize what you have done wrong. Now, I was so scared. I never preached in my life. I never hardly testified much. Um, you know, just about my salvation, but not, no revelation. And I would stand like that, and I was shaking like that, and my body was shaking just like that. And I was so nervous, I couldn't even read. My, the things went up and down, and I could not see anything. And finally, the Lord said to me, just fall in my hands. And I never preached in my life. And I start preaching similar to what I do now or even more wild. <laughs> and I know as I was sitting there, and all these guys had their mouths open. Like, and they're shocked. And I said, oh, I must have messed it up totally. They're going to pluck my sermon totally apart. I'm going to potato mass they're going to mass me and you know as uh, there was a very well-known evangelist and preacher which was our teacher and i never forget because this was god confirmation to me and as i come to class shaking i was really backward when i was young and withdrawn and as i sat there and i was shaking uh, he said he said i cannot criticize this because this was the Holy Spirit using a person to speak to us. And I, when I speak about it now, I got the goosebumps. I said, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And you know, throughout the years, I have experienced that. And I, I was backwards. I have not much education. I don't know anything. But yet... God came and get revelations in inside, and he gave me a voice. How? Because he says what? When the Holy Spirit is poured out, you shall speak with other tongues. Now, what does the Lord does? He fills his, he speaks as you speak. Speaking is a power. Now, all the fivefold ministry, the fivefold ministry for the edification of the church is voices. It's a voice of teaching, a voice of exhortation, a voice of correction, a voice of revelation. We would be not a church if we didn't have voices. Now, some people are not voices, they're echoes. Because a voice has something which is born to hearing. 
It has to be born to perception. As we hear, as the Spirit of the Lord speaks. Now many of God's people, preachers, evangelists, teachers, they have good teaching, but they're echoes. They are echoes of other people's voices. They're echoes of what they have learned. They're echoes of what they have heard. They're echoes. They have not become a voice. And the voice is powerful. Because a voice, now you have to realize, when the Lord fills us with the Holy Spirit and we speak in other tongues and God uses your ability which he has put within us to bring revelation and insight which is born of the Spirit, by the Spirit. Now you realize what God has done. Now look at Genesis 11. When you read about what he speaks, how powerful voices to express what God does. Now it says the whole earth used the same language, the same words. And they, what they did because they understood each other and they speak the same language. What did they say? They said, let us make ourselves a name. And what they did, they built a tower. The Tower of Babel. Now, if you know what it is so important, what the Lord says in 11 verse 6. Now, because the people have the same language, I cannot stop them to fulfill their purpose. They had the unity which was expressed to one language. Now, what did the Lord do? He confused their language. And as they confused their language and because they could not understand each other, what happened? They could not fulfill their purpose and their desire. Now, Babel, you know what Babel means? Confusion by mixing. He mixed the languages. He mixed the people. Now, what the Holy Spirit did, he gives us a language of the spirit which produces unity. Some, you might have total different opinion. Now, let me say you have spirit-filled Democrats in America and spirit-filled Republican or spirit-filled Independent or go to South Africa. You have spirit-filled guys from the ANC and spirit-filled guys from the right wing. And I've been in churches like that, South Africa, right wing, left wing, black. And why? Total different political views. Total different understanding. For instance, I've been in a convention, David and I, in Washington, of five, six hundred people. And the people totally talked a different language, not in English. But in total different understanding, they used the same word, but they did not mean the same things. You mean? So we all tend to use the same words. You all can use the spiritual language, but don't mean the same thing. Because you don't have the same revelation, the same insight. You just learned the language, but you don't understand the language. You understand what I mean. Now, the language is born to revelation and insight. When God gives you a language and he gives me a revelation to express what God does, and you have the same revelation, I don't have to explain it. We can say the same words and understand and come to unity, born of the Spirit, which nobody can separate today. Now, today we have a mixed congregation, people who have learned the words but don't know the language. 
don't understand what God is saying because we interpret it in our own brain. We interpret it in our own way and we say the same thing but we don't have a unity because the unity has to be born out of the same understanding is not just agreement. It's a birthing. As God says when you have unity with him and unity with each other it has to be born of what God does in our life. Now, look at in Deuteronomy what it says. And he says, I'm going to raise up a nation against you in Deuteronomy 28, 48, 49, whose language you do not understand. They have no respect for the old and no favor for the young. With other words, when the enemy comes, you cannot persuade the enemy because he doesn't understand what you say and you don't understand what he said and you cannot your words have no power to create compassion your words have no power to create humility you have no power to speak now when you look at in the third in the Adolf Hitler when he rose they spoke a language you did not understand had had such power of the German nation that it brought such distraction because we had no power to speak into their lives and into their ways. Now when you look at Nehemiah, after he built the wall and he created an environment for God's temple to be built and for a new glory to be moved into Jerusalem, you know what he said? The greatest disappointment for him was this. He says in Nehemiah chapter 13, he said that for the children of the Israelis, half of them spoke the language of Ashdod, and none were able to speak the language of Judah, of that generation, coming into the promised land, building, coming out of exile coming into return to build back what they after the captivity of 70 years in the 70 years they have lived in Jerusalem but they forgot the language they spoke the language of the idols and they did none of them the second generation understood what the language of Judah and you see this is what happened today you can come to the church and you can sing these things and say the right thing, but there is no right understanding because it has to be born. You can say all the same things. You can preach all the same thing if the understanding is not born of what God says. We will never move into that, what the Lord has for our life. Now, sound is very important. Remember, when the priest came before the Lord and he went into the holies of holies, you know what they had to do? They had to put little belts on their garments. And these little belts on their garment, when they came before the Lord, when they had a sound, they fulfilled what? The requirements. When there was not a sound, they would die because they had a rope around their waist. And when they would come unholy into the holies of holies and the belts did not make the right sound, they would die before the Lord. And you see, but it's so important when we come into the presence of the Lord. 
that the Holy Spirit is what? As he not only is upon me, but he comes within me. He has to give me the right understanding so I can speak the right language. If you don't speak the right language, you don't have the right power to promote or to penetrate the nation and the generation of what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Now, I, you know what to speak means? To declare, to converse, to command, to promise, to sing, to warn, to threaten, to conquer, and to control. So how in the world are you going to control the enemy if you're dumb? Now what does unbelief do? It's not only that you don't see miracles. Unbelief gives you the power to declare. You maybe say the right thing. But the declaration is more than saying the right thing. A declaration is born out of language. Which the Lord has revealed unto you to speak words of power. To declare the right thing. To say the right things in the right moment. To diffuse. You know how many battles are won. Today you can see the politicians don't understand anything. Everybody wants their right. They fight each other. And then out of that fighting there comes no, no answer and no resolution. And when you, you cannot persuade anybody else, it has to be born from, from within. And you know the Holy Spirit when he comes, I speak in tongues all the time. Now, I don't need to understand it. Now, God can give you the interpretation if you ask for it. Now, I, I realize that you, but when you need that language, because some of us, we pray things which are not real, are not born out of truth and not born out of revelation. I know one time I was in a church and, and as I was young, and I heard a German woman, and not a German, Portuguese woman, uh, or from, Porti from Portugal, or from Puerto Rico. From Puerto Rico, a woman speaking, praying in German. Now, as we came in, I realized that she was a woman who felt very important in the church. She was a boy, she was a pastor, induced her, introduced her, and he said, this woman is a prayer warrior. She is a woman in our church. She is very important. She is a woman I depend on. Now, as I gave the altar call, this woman came, and, and we know we prayed all the time for the infilling of the Holy Spirit in those days. And as she came, she was speaking in a German tongue. And I heard her say this, Oh, Herr, vergib mir, ich bin eine Sünderin. She was crying out continuously, Oh, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Oh, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. But she didn't know she was a sinner. Now, to be a sinner means you miss the mark. To miss the mark, we're all sinners. But she didn't know she was a sinner because she had a place of importance in the church. She was a place of influence in the church. But the Lord used her tongue to declare something which should go into her spirit and into her life to bring what? Repentance and insight. And you, you could not feel the Holy Spirit, fool the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. And you know, when, when you would ask her, what did you pray about? 
Oh, I praise the Lord. I said praises to God. And she had no idea that the Holy Spirit interceded for her. Because somewhere along the line, she missed the mark. Doesn't matter how spiritual you are, as soon as pride comes in, you lost the ability to receive truth. And that's why the enemy will never ever let you come free into that. Because if you have the truth, what you speak and what I say, and what I say has no power and no impact. Now I want to show you something out of the life of Bathsheba. Because the life of Bathsheba is a powerful testimony of what God will do in one's woman's life. Now, in the life of Bathsheba, I'm just going to just show you if you want to open it in the second Samuel chapter 11, and then I'm going to go to, to first king. Now, in the second Samuel, let me just read you a, a thing here. Second Samuel chapter 11. I think it's right when I sometimes I don't write the right scriptures down <laughs> oh yeah here it is second samuel 11 then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that david sent joab and the servant with him and all of israel and they destroyed the sons of ammon and besieged Rehem. but david stayed at jerusalem now when the evening came david arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughters of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messenger and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So David did. Now you know the story, I think, how David tried to cover up his sin uh, as he tried to send Uriah from the battlefield into the bed of Bathsheba. Now, when I look Bathsheba, and I'm going to show you later how important the voice is. Now, when Bathsheba came into David's life, I was thinking, when you look at David's life, he was a man of understanding. And you know, when you study David's life, you know that God has used many times voices in his life to change direction. Voices of truth, like Samir, voices who have come into his life to give him insight and revelation. And he had the courage to declare even, and David was a voice, as he even say, yeah, you come in a spare and in a speech, but I come in the name of the Lord, as he killed Goliath. He didn't do it silent. He declared what God would do in his life. Now here he is. He desires this woman. He's king. Now here the woman comes in Bathsheba. Now you have to know Bathsheba was surrounded by mighty men. Her grandfather was an advisor of David. Uriah was a mighty man. He, she was surrounded by men who fought for David, laid his life down for David. And she, he desired the wife of a mighty man who risked his life for him. So I think to myself, Bathsheba, she comes, it's not written here, but she had no power. I said, why did she do that? Why did she not speak to David and told him that she speak into his life? 
Now you look at you look at David and you see Abigail. Abigail, he was going to David was going to become a murderer. He was going to wipe out the whole life of Ur, of Nabal and the man. He was so angry that he was going to kill them because Nabal was not going to help him after he protected him. And you know, Abigail, his wife, she came and she spoke into David's life. She changed David's direction. And instead that David sat on the throne with a guilty conscience because he acted in anger. He became a king who did not fail because one woman spoke into his life and into his conscience and she brought him present and washed his feet. And David declared later that it was Abigail who helped him not to become a murderer because her words had more power than David's anger. The words of comfort, the words of Susie spoke into his life and gave direction into his life. Now here I thought, here's Bathsheba, and David is on a crossroad. Now this action influences his whole family, influenced his son, influenced every area of his life. And this woman, why did she have no voice? And I realized, you, I'm going to prove it to you later in a minute, how much it's important to have a voice. This woman, maybe she said to him, but I'm a woman, married woman. She saw her, how she washed herself ceremonially and cleansed herself. And he knew that it was a time for her to be intimate. And you know, I think to myself, what takes away my voice? And I realized maybe she spoke to David, but it had no power. Why? Because her desires overpowered her voice. Her desire, she was lonely. This guy was on the front line. Maybe she was needed intimacy. Maybe she wanted love. Maybe she wanted understanding. It's just not written here. But she's a woman. And I know how many women in this life are never have a voice. Even so, they speak a lot. Because our desires overpowers our ability to bring life. And here David, he had no power. She had no power to change his direction because her need overpowered her voice. And I tell you something, many of us, we don't say the right things because our need overpowers our voice and we cannot speak into the situation and into the time. Now, you can see what happens with Bathsheba in, in 1 Kings chapter 1. In 1 Kings chapter 1, here comes the king, uh, as the, the prophet comes onto the scene uh, here. Then Nathan, chapter 1, verse 11. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonai, the son of Haggad, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? So now come, please, let me give you counsel to save your life. And the life of your son Solomon. What happened? He, he, Solomon was the beloved of the Lord. The darling of the Lord. The favorite of the Lord. He, his life was in danger. Because the brother, half-brother of Solomon usurps authority and power. As he walks into that, what the king wants. Now, he says, he said, so now come, please, let me give you counsel to save your life. Listen. 
go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not, my Lord, or King sworn to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king of after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adoniah become king? Behold, now that's what he thought. Behold, while you are still speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. Now here's a woman who had no power. Now you can see, when you look at Bathsheba's life, she did not only have Solomon, she had four children. She had four children, and some of the children she had, when the Lord still said that she was the wife married to David, the wife of Uriah. Now, these four children, when you look at their names, you can see the struggle of Bathsheba. Because some of the names mean consecration and some of the names mean rebellion. Because Bathsheba had to struggle with it. You know what happened? Because of she had no power, voice. Her grandfather went over to Absalom and he, killed, he committed suicide. Her husband got killed. And she been in a mess. So what happened when Solomon was born? He comforted her. The comfort was not an act of intimacy. He had intimacy and then comforted her to write, to make her a voice. Now, you can never, ever be, remember, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. When you raw inside, in your life, men and women alike, and the Holy Spirit cannot come. He's my helper. He's my comforter to make me at ease with who I am. You will be always an echo, an echo of your feelings, an echo of your confusion, an echo of your sickness, an echo of what you are, but you're not a voice. You can't speak into the situation because the Holy Spirit has had no power to manifest himself through us and in us and for us. Now here Solomon comes, uh, uh, Nathan comes, and he speaks to Bathsheba, and she has to go in. David is old. He doesn't know anymore what's going on. And she speaks to her. She speaks to him. She has to become a voice to change the situation. It was so important. The prophet did not come alone. It was her place to speak into that situation. She was the mother. She was the wife. She had to take the place of authority to let the power and the words come out of her. Then she left. Nathan came and confirmed her words. And then she got her results. You read and study it. She came back in. And David listened to her voice. And the promises were kept. Not just because of Solomon. Of Bathsheba. Who had to discover her language. Her voice. Her purpose. Of what God does in her life. And you see, I, I believe with all my heart. In Psalm 145, verse 6, it says, Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. You know, Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, it says, 
Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Now, the revelations of your life, the mysteries of God, the mysteries are God, but when you discover the mysteries of God, they become yours. And when you discover the mysteries of God and you declare it, you speak them light. It becomes light. It becomes revelation. It becomes insight. It becomes power and glory. And you know, I believe in all our life that God is going to use us on a total new level. Will we not just cry out in desperation? But will we will walk in a new authority and in a new power for our de- failures and our lacks and our de- unfulfillment are no longer dominating us. Now we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I could never do what I do without the help of the Holy Spirit. He helps us in our infirmities, in our confusion, in our fears. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He teaches me how to please Jesus. How can you know how to please Jesus? You've never seen Jesus, maybe in a vision. He's no longer a man walking upon this earth. He's spirit. He's power. He's spirit. He's no longer Canadian. He's no longer an American. I would say that most Christians have an imagination of Jesus and we make him our culture. We make Jesus a Canadian. We make him an African. We make him an American, a German. And we worship the Jesus we have created. A Jesus we have formed who fits into our lifestyle, who fits into our circumstances. And we don't know the resurrected one. Because a resurrected Christ is not an American. It's not a Canadian. It's not black or white. It's spirit. And how and why I know how to please him? I always teach on Esther. Now Esther was an amazing, so I can preach sermons on Esther from the beginning to the end because it's a key for the end times and lock lives and, and lock purposes. Now when you look at Esther, Esther, she, I mean, how does a Jewish girl have a vision and a dream to belong to an harem? Of course not. Every Jewish girl wants to have one guy she can love and fuss about and have four or five kids and be happy ever after. And here comes that Jewish girl. How does she find fulfillment in a harem, in, in an environment of a heathen king to live there? And she comes there. And what example the Lord does there? You look at Haggai. He's a type of the Holy Spirit. Now she comes there. And how does she know how to please a king, I ask you? A little Jewish girl has big competition. And a guy comes, and what does he do? He teaches her how to please the king. Now, you see, many of us, we think when we please ourselves, that pleases him. Uh-uh. Now, how, what do you do when you've been in need and suddenly you live in abundance? You won't know what to do with abundance. You don't. People who are needy don't know what to do with abundance because it becomes excess to them. They live in excess. But not in abundance. Abundance is not flow. Abundance is not excess. And you know, I realize what 
Hagar did. Esther had a key. What'd she do? Thousand women trying to please one king. And village girls, girls from every tribe, just looking girl, gorgeous. And suddenly here the king said, you can have everything you want, wear anything, have any jewelry you want. Now you know what? If you never developed your taste, you don't really know what you like. If you never had the ability to select anything, because you never even thought you could have it, how do you know what to jewelry the king lies from diamonds to emerald to sapphire? What in the mouth? And you know what? These girls, they wore themselves out looking pretty. They had only one problem. They didn't know what the king likes. They thought the king likes what they like. Now what did Esther do? She took anything but what Hagar told her. Because only one knew the king, it was Hagar. All the other women have never seen the king, only heard of him. Because they could not see the king until they went to the preparation. And it was Hagar's job to prepare them. And it says clearly Esther didn't take anything but what Hagar gave her. And the king did what? Was so pleased. Because she didn't put on what she liked. He, she put on what he liked. And you see, that's the whole key of our Christianity and our success. Don't think just because what you like is what he likes. It isn't. The Holy Spirit has to come to teach me, to strip me, to make me small where I'm big and big where I'm small, to bring a balance in my life, to move in my spirit, in my mind, in my life, to bring liberty and freedom. So why? So I can become a voice and a purpose. And you can see, when you see the life of Esther, how the progress has come, how Esther had to become a voice. She, she had to become a voice. It was not enough for intimacy. It was not enough just to be in a bed of the king and to feel his love. She had to become a voice to slay Haman. And you see, the church... We have no weapons. We don't need guns. We don't need swords. I don't need to be taught in karate to overcome the enemy. I don't need self-defense. What do I need? I need a voice. I need to have the ability to enter perception, to people to hear. You know how many people have been turned because certainly you look at Paul in prison. You look at Watchman Nee and these guys and even Mandela. See, they became voices which entered even into the perception of the jail wardens. For they had voices speaking into the situation where life, darkness, became light. And light could become darkness. And when you see, when you see Esther dealing with Haman, she first had to be a voice in the king's ears. It was not enough for her. Then you know how she fasted for three days and three nights? And she said, if I perish, I perish. It doesn't matter. Now what was her shock? As she came, she came to, in weakness to the king, not in power. She fasted for three nights and three days, no water, no food. And it says, and some of the historians, they said, when Esther came and she stood before the king uninvited, he was so moved by her weakness, not by her beauty, by her vulnerability. 
that he stretched out the scepter and he said, the half of the kingdom I will give unto you. And what she do? Some of us charismatic would have gone for it. Half of money, half of gold, half of power, half of, boy, I'm right there. God has given me power. But she did not need power. She needed a voice. And she said, what? Let Haman dine with us. Let Haman feast with us. Invite him for dinner. And what happened is she spoke to the king and her words prepared a feasting table. You know what that feasting table was? As Haman felt so special. He, pride came into his life. Pride goes before the fall. Oh, he was so happy. He was already so honored and favored. Now the Queen Esther invites me. And pride goes before the fall. And Haman was killed on Mordecai Gallen. Well, they will kill Mordecai. Why? Because Esther became a voice. And the church, we need to become a voice. Well, God can come and enter our perception where we not only declare our needs, but declare mysteries, declare light, declare who God is in our life. And you know, this is what all of you and me and us, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to use us to speak life. Listen, don't let your prayers just be prayer requests. Let God use your voice to declare the mysteries of the Lord, to change atmosphere, to change situation, to bring forth purpose and destiny. You know how many people have been changed? I have been changed through voices who entered my perception, awakened my desire to know him better, to walk in him better. Listen, don't just be a parent. Don't just repeat everything. Become a voice. Let God bring revelation in your life and my life. Because that is what God does when we are baptized. In the Holy Spirit language. You see the disciples, their whole battle, their whole move has to do with ministry. Spoken. Speaking the revelation, speaking the comfort, speaking the exhortation, speaking life and not death. To bring forth what God has in us and for us. And you know, you don't need to persuade people. I don't believe in persuasion. King Agrippa said, I almost been persuaded to be a Christian. Persuasion don't last. I believe awakenings. Since the song of Solomon said, Don't awaken my love. Don't stir, don't awaken it until it pleases. And all of us, when springtime comes in your life, blossom, fullness, and fruit develops. We need to be awakened. And when we awaken, God is going to give us purpose and destiny in everything we do. 
in everything we experience because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Would you just bow your head?